Fitness Pro Mentor community. Welcome to another episode of the show. I'm always super excited about helping trainers two to three X their income and learn how to master their business. And as you know, I got some really cool friends and some friends like Michelle Mori are just freaking awesome. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Brandon, I'm great. Thanks. Uh, it's great to see you as always. So everyone, really quickly, Michelle were just and I were just talking about her age, and she was just telling me that she's going 31, 32, and I just can't believe, I mean, I actually thought she was in her 20s, so this is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, you got to tell me the secret, because I'm going the wrong way fast. People are guessing that I'm 40, and I'm not, and that's not good. Yeah, well, you know, 31, or maybe turning 45 in June, it's, it's all the same thing, right? <laughs> 28, it's all the same, all the same. Yeah, so, it's, uh, it's, it's good. It's good. No, you're doing all the right things. I mean, you're a pure, perfect example of taking care of yourself and doing a diverse array of different type of exercise and serial entrepreneuring. Honestly, you got a bunch of crazy. Michelle, before we jump in, I have to tell you, uh, my son Maxwell is on this car kick and every day he's giving me a collection of vehicles to bring to the gym with me. I got Lightning McQueen. I got a Mustang. Hey, eh? I got a Mustang yes. and I also yes. got a fire truck. And if I don't bring these home, I have a serious problem I got to deal with. Oh my gosh. So I'll tell you what. It sounds like you got a cool kid though. Well, I'll tell you what. If you send me a picture of a Mustang that you might know of, he might be very interested in it, especially because it's an awesome color. Yes, that's right. It is the color. And yeah, I got a story for you about that one. So, Well, let's start off with it. Tell me the story yeah. about the Mustang. Yeah. Okay. Listen. So first of all, we're, I'm waiting for like warm weather and sun because we're not getting any of it. And I finally got the car out of the storage last weekend and I want to drive it. But here's what happened. So Chicago, right? The streets are absolutely horrible, potholes everywhere. So I might have had this car for about a month last year driving and they had just paved the road. I couldn't tell. It was like all wet. I thought it had just rained. I'm driving. And I hear all this stuff kicking up under my car, which I'm driving like five miles an hour because I don't want anything to happen to it. I get out the <laughs> entire thing is filled with tar the underside the wheel wells this i it was absolutely horrendous so thank god i found these people way out in the suburbs um, who do an amazing job on getting tar off of a car but before that i brought it into this car wash and they they tried to get it all off and they they ripped the decal on the side so now I got tar on my car. I got a detail decal rip, brand new mock Mustang. Oh, no. And so, yes. Yeah, so luckily the tar is off. I just got a call today that my decal is in and I'm putting that on and I'm going to drive it until I can't anymore this summer. And I'm so excited. Oh, it's such a sick car. You know what? I mean, the North American sports cars, like anything, in my opinion, like generalizing the Mustang, the Challenger, the Camaro, the Corvettes, I mean, they're just engineered mm -hmm. to go fast and they're fun. And I think they're fantastic. I love what you got. They are. And, you know, mocks, if you, you buy one, they give you this free performance driving course at the Charlotte Speedway, Charlotte Motor Speedway. So I'm going to go out there this summer and learn how to actually drive the thing. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Michelle, yeah. here's the thing. Yeah. You've got some cool things going on between some cool equipment, some cool businesses, fun toys, and you've worked very, very hard for several years to be in the position where you are now to even be talking about things like this, which is super cool. Um, people know you, people love you. Like I said, we could talk about nothing and people would just be very excited to be here. But I think what we should do is you have a ton of projects on the go, a ton of amazing things. You are giving back to help elevate the fitness industry in so many ways. Are you cool if we dive into some of the things that you're doing? I'd be happy to. 
Yes. You gave me this awesome list of stuff. More than <laughs> I've interviewed a lot of people. And I haven't got a list this big in a while. And I absolutely love it. Uh, one of the things you told me that you're working on is kind of getting into the psychology of training. And you've got a course to go along with that. And I was just wondering if you could speak to that, because I think that's just absolutely brilliant. Sure, sure. Yeah, the course is in the making right now. Um, a, a lot of it has come about by my own experiences and what I've gone through in the last 20 some years in my career and as an athlete um, and training clients for such a long period of time. Um, and I've, to start out, I was, I, I trained people and my focus was their body and exercise and programming and body, 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 body. I unfortunately never took into account the vast influence that psychology has on this person and the outcome that that they are experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis, which sounds funny to say, because why wouldn't I consider that to begin with? So I thought about that. And what I realized is when you go through certifications, when you're in school, what do you hear all the time? Scope, 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 scope. Anytime you hear psychology, they're like, oh, scope of practice, which I agree with relative to diagnostics right? Relative to prying in, asking some questions that you might not know how to address if you dive too deep. However, if you look at psychology, we are looking into how we perceive ourselves, right? In relationship to the world around us and how that influences our behavior and what we believe. And that is going to influence what we eat, if we exercise, how we exercise, how much effort we put into our exercise, how much we prioritize our health and well-being overall. So I think bringing this idea to trainers in a way that just exposes them to the dynamics of psychology, things like, can you, do you know what those dynamics are, right? Do you understand cognition? Do you understand um, how, what, how much perception influences behavior, um, how people learn, uh, their emotional state, right? Um, from, from minute to minute and, and we've all experienced it, but what do we do about it? Right? Do we spend time just listening to someone, not diving in, trying to solve problems, just listening? Um, and understanding that that emotion and being able to express how they feel might be what they need that day instead of lifting an extra five pounds, right? Looking at their attitude, looking at their relationships um, and being able to just understand that, that, that those things exist and they will influence how this person behaves or exercises or can even um, execute what you're demanding of them as a coach, as a trainer. I think that's a brilliant thing. I mean, obviously, and I, Jacques kind of spoke to this when we did a podcast with him and he was talking about just how people interpret what they're coming in with, but also how they interpret an experience and how that interpretation could modify performance and a lot of other systems. I'm wondering, I mean, you probably, I know you've seen it. Like there's that old meme of like what my friends think I do 
what people think I do, what my mom thinks I do, and what I actually do. And one of the pictures was like the feet up on the therapy couch answering questions. And I'm just wondering, like going into this world, I couldn't agree more the importance of understanding how someone's interpreting information and their current state. Um, what is the, what would you say the, the, the wall is, I'm not sure if I can't find the word right now, but the, the barrier between what is appropriate for us as fitness professionals to talk about and how to support them. And when we're kind of getting into that, okay, now we are into the out of my scope of practice style conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, I think giving advice and diagnosing is where you got to leave that alone. And when we're so used to giving advice as trainers relative to exercise, it, that could be difficult. Um, but if we understand the difference between um, guiding and aiding people through uh, their, their potential obstacles compared to saying, oh, you have an eating disorder and you should, let's, let's talk about that right? Instead of, okay, let's talk about how, how did you feel yesterday when you ate the bag of chips that you said you ate, right? And let them just talk about it. Because um, all you're asking about is how they feel. But we always ask how someone feels after a set. What about after they, how they feel after that they ate their thing of donuts in the car, right? Without anybody watching them. Like these are real things that happen. And we can't just push it aside because it's going to keep coming up over and over and over. Um, and we're without looking at it, we're only, we're, we're missing the entire person. Okay. So we have to take it, take into consideration the, the huge influence of the mind on how the body is going to react and how we behave, um, in, in general, just daily. Now you've got a team and this is interesting because I was just thinking, I mean, you've like, kind of like me, you've got a team of people on the gym floor and uh, anyone, if anyone has worked, if you haven't worked with other trainers on the gym floor or a business with other people, if you're on the floor with your client, there is an intimate relationship between you and that individual, but then the also environmental experience of like, well, you and I are in this intimate moment and then the person over there, they might be having a jolly great time. You know what I mean? And then, so everyone brings their own little in ecosystem onto the floor and I'm wondering, like, do you think this would be something that would be beneficial for everyone in a business? Like if you've got 10 trainers, do you think all 10 trainers should take this course? So that way it's not only being mindful of the individual that's in front of you, but also the kind of the aggregate ecosystem of other trainers and other clients in the facility or members. Yes, definitely. Um, I do. I think knowing, so I, I, I've had recently an interaction with a client where they were in a, a pretty rough mindset um, and in the middle of the set just got really emotional. Um, and I, I knew how to act with that. I knew where to go. I didn't bring her in the center of a bunch of clients and start doing exercises, right? I pulled her away. I didn't We didn't stop what we were doing. Just her away from everyone else on the floor and we just kept moving and she kept talking and was still emotional um but made it work right and didn't focus on the fact that there are tears and all this stuff and make it bigger than it was just let her talk um but at the same time respect what she was going through by not throwing her in the middle of everyone else working out in the gym 
Yeah. So yes, I think being aware of that is important. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting, especially in this environment with, as with trainers, because there's so many different personalities, strong personalities. I had a similar experience where I had a client. She came in, and she's a very strong, like, strong iron woman, so to speak. Like, you know, you would never know what's going on in her life, and she just comes in and gets things done. And we got in a few minutes in, and then she, like, kind of, like, broke, and, like, I had a tear come down. And, I, and I've never seen that with her. Like, she had, you know, her son got really, really sick. She had needed a hip replacement and didn't tell me about it until, like, the second session because she didn't want me thinking about it. She didn't want to think about it. Well, it turns out her mom passed away. And she told me, like, right at that mm-hmm. moment. And so instantly we changed our environment because across the floor there were people having a great time talking about the latest Ozark episode or something like that. And they're laughing, having a great yeah. time. I'm like, okay, this is fine. But we need to go. And we went into another space, so to speak. And we didn't, like, make the whole session about that moment. But we did, you know, she, like you said, which was interesting, but it was, she talked about how she was feeling and she just talked about it a little bit, but she continued doing the work. And it was this nice thing because she had this great connection with exercise and the thing we were doing. And I, I guess here and me, but at the same time, she got to kind of have this cathartic talking, uh, which was, you know, powerful. So it's, you know, similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, it's very powerful. And, um, I I think I'm, I think trainers would be pleasantly surprised to see how their clients react if you give their mental state and their, their state of mind a little more attention. And, and I don't mean in the session, right? This is, this, is a, this is a full-time job. So you have a client. When I have a client, they, they, I don't just think of them or, or work with them for when they're in the gym check up on them, send them articles, send them a text. Hey, hope you have a great day. Um, just little things here. Did, did you meditate today? Um, try taking this yoga class, right? It's not all about you and that session that you have with them for that one hour, or however many hours you train them during that week. Um, it's what system are you putting in place in order to achieve that desired outcome? Um, I, I read this really great book recently. Have you heard of um, Atomic Habits by yes. James Clear? You yes. read it? I, I have it on Love my audio book. I'm halfway through it right now. It's awesome. Okay. It's so good. Um, and I've heard some of the things he, he mentioned I've heard before, but I love the examples he uses and how much he dives into it. And the one thing that he keeps bringing up is creating a system uh, in order to get this outcome to habit to happen. And whether that's creating habits or consistent things that you do throughout the day in order to get you to continually do those things, um, they should be done. You should put those in place in order to be successful. So using that to put those things in place for our clients so that they are successful and they're creating better habits and they, they move closer and closer and closer to that outcome that they want, whether it's just feeling better or losing 10 pounds, right? But overall, it's behaviors that you're influencing. So I have a, I want to throw something out there to you. And it's because I think that you'll be, I think you'd be awesome to answer this. And because you have, I mean, I know from just knowing you, you're one of those people that, I mean, you you say unstoppable, uh, which I love, like you are unstoppable and you're just going to keep going and going forward. So this is a question about mindset. And the reason I want to ask it to you is because you have so many students and interns and people that you have mentored or been a part of their world. I know a lot of people I've talked about, I've talked to in the life coaching world who will have students talk about things that are slowing down or negatively influencing their behavior. Like if they believe 
I'm not achieving a goal because I have ADHD. I'm not achieving a goal because I need to be energetic and manifest around this. And then once I have time to embrace it, then I'll do this. Or I procrastinate. And these life coaches will tell them, you know, focus on that behavior, learn about it, explore it, figure out what it is that stopped creating that behavior, and then move on from it. And I heard this great perspective where instead of owning the negative behavior, embrace the behavior you need to have to get to that next spot. Rather than being like, I have ADHD and it's okay. Here's what I'll do to change this. Going, okay, well, let's just push the ADHD thing aside or whatever it is. I'm going to talk about that because that's irrelevant. I procrastinate. Here's, if I want to be in this place, I have to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going that direction. And that's what you embody. So it's like that, do you embody the negative thing and then reverse engineer from there? Or do you kind of just step over it <laughs> and just work towards taking that next big step? I just would love your thought. Yeah, um, I think there's two different parts to that. I think looking at, I always am strength-based, right? So I, I will take my employees or my team or my students or whoever I'm working with and try to take their strengths and maximize those rather than try to take their weaknesses and make those not weak, make them less weak or improve on that or try to change them. It's, and, and maybe that's just all of the sports I've been in forever, right? You don't have a coach that takes someone that's a defender and tries to make them forward because they want them to be there for some reason, right? That's not where they're strong. You keep them on defense and you, you maximize what they can do and you make your team better. Um, so that's what I try to do. That's the approach I take. Um, but at the same time, trying to make sure that the goals or the outcomes that you are creating are realistic for that person. Because um, you might have to step back a little bit and say, okay, what other steps do I need to put in here that I need to work towards before I get there? Because um, I don't think any goal is too big. Um, but are you breaking it down into the pieces required in order to achieve that goal, right? So I, I want to write a book, right? And it's something I've wanted to do for many years now. But I keep saying, oh, I'm going to write a book and I take a little bit of notes. I'm, I haven't put the pieces in place or I hadn't put the pieces in place that will allow me to dedicate the time that it takes to just sit down and for five minutes on a certain day at a certain time every single week to do that, right? And now at least there's something happening instead of this thing that I'm just saying needs to happen, right? So put the pieces together and create the steps necessary to get there. You've consistently done that, 100%. And <laughs> I so I, I think what really is neat about this, this conversation, like segueing from the psychology of training. I mean, one thing that you were telling me that you, you're really excited to talk about is kind of like the personal side of being a personal trainer in the training career. And I, would love, I mean, I was wondering like, what is it about that right now at the, in this point in your career, that personal side that's really standing out to you? Um, the, <laughs> the years of working out and being active and getting injured and competing and getting injured and working out and getting injured and understanding that, hold on a second, back up. This is about the person and just put it 
in relationship to me, um, my health and wellness is the most important thing because if I don't have that, I don't have anything else. When you lose the ability to walk, for example, um, you're, it's, it's a pretty rough thing to do. You're at a low. So understanding that it's not about this, this, I need to win this gold medal. I need to get first place. I, listen, I need to walk and I need to figure out how I'm, I'm going to be able to do that for the rest of my life. So finding ways to put exercise in a different light and reflect more on your person as a whole. Um, I integrated meditation. I integrated yoga. I've integrated um, journaling, different things that allow me to focus more on the person than the mind aspect of it instead of just the body aspect of it and what my body can do and how hard I can push my body, right? How much can I challenge my mind? How much can I relax my mind and be with myself um, instead of always trying to get out of my head and make my body do all the work, right? Which is not an easy thing. So when I bring that into training, personal training is about the person right and the best trainers understand that whether that whether they know it or not um because it's that we always talk about you got to build rapport and have a relationship with your client yet have boundaries um but there's almost this thing you don't even know how to explain right so people ask me how do you keep your clients for over 20 years I can't, I can't give you a, an outline. I can't give you a blueprint of how I've kept clients for this long, but I can tell you that we have a relationship of respect and trust, right? So I, I will always show them respect and they can always trust that I am on their side and I look at them as a human being, not just as this body that needs to lift weights and do cardio, right? And I, I there's, that part, that personal, that care, um, that is totally invested in their health and wellness, that needs to be there. Um, and, and that's another part of that course, the psychology course, that it'll, it'll be included in there. How do we make the personal training more personal? There's a, so I mean, I've been doing this for 17 years and I have a client that's been with me for 17 years. And I got a lot of clients with me for 15 years and a lot that moved me for like five to eight. And I, I know what you mean. It's this weird, this weird thing that, you know, like you have family and there's a connection you have with family and that's different than friendship. And then with clients, I don't know what you call, but there is a bond that happens that is extremely personal but professional built off of a layer of mutual respect because there is still a, a knowledge respect, sorry, like a knowledge, professionalism, money, trade, time trade that happens, but also you know them so well. I mean, I, I call it the rapport continuum only because it's this hyperbolic like nothing and then all of a sudden it kind of ramps up and then you can't imagine not talking to this person where you're like, ah, oh, this person, she's fine. And then 10 years later, you're at her house changing light bulbs because she can't reach over her head and she doesn't want to leave the house, right? <laughs> yes. Hello, Maureen, you know. Anyway, and it's like, it's this incredible connection. Um, 
but you can't really describe it. And it's weird because I'm sure you have this problem too. I have several clients that I see on a weekly basis that have been with me for five, seven, eight years. I see them literally more than some of my family. And Mm -hmm. I am extremely professional. I mean, even though I make silly jokes on this, like I'm very much like, this is what we're here to do, but we have a connection personally that's hard to describe. So a new trainer comes in and they see us chatting about something in the middle of a rest period that seems like we're not doing anything at all. But it's because we have that eight years of history. And then this brand new trainer starts to try and have colloquial, common, casual chats with their brand new client. I'm like, no, no, like, I see what I understand. <laughs> you can't do that. Like, it's not about you can't do what I do. It's just you have to earn it. And it comes over time. Um, that's such an interesting thing. You know, it's just beautiful, too. Like, I, I love it. I'm so grateful. I didn't know I was going to have that experience through this career. And it's, it's just I love it. I mean, I don't cry very often. And I've had family members pass away. And I don't cry. But I had I got two of my clients pass and I was like heartbroken because I knew their whole story of like, had this happen, had this happen. And it was just, I don't know. I get what you're saying. And I love that you're going to talk about it because I think it's important. Yeah, you hit it on the head when you said family because that's what they are, right? We all have different relationships with different family members. And I, I, you can equate that to uh, our clients quite a bit. And I also think there's, I've also had a couple of clients who have passed and I, it's hard um, because you have such an intimate relationship with them that no one else in their family has. No. And, it, and, and I don't, and their, their family doesn't understand it. Right. So, you know, it, I luckily had a client who we were so close and she did pass. And before that she asked me to do her eulogy at her funeral. And it, it was, it was that 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 recognition of, of what I meant to her and her life was phenomenal, and um, so they're just relationships that you can't you you can't beat. They're they, they're pretty great. There's I only will share this because I want to honor him. And there's three clients of mine that have been prolific, but there's one gentleman who was a. Uh, he called himself a CEO, but cockeyed optimist is what he called it. <laughs> and he was a 78-year-old South Asian fella who at 74 had this incredible heart condition, major like quadruple bypass. And he was told by his cardiovascular surgeon that he had one year to live and he was going to be in a wheelchair in six months. And that was how he was going to spend the last few of his days. He was someone who had no interest in exercising. He never exercised. Culturally, I mean, the, him and his family were like, that's stupid. No one does that. That's for people in short shorts and whatnot. Anyway, his wife was coming to see me, got him to come see me. We got five we, from strengthening and exercising and him just taking care and ownership of his life. He got five extra <clears throat> long years and he passed away about nine months ago now, which is heartbreaking. But he never ended up in a wheelchair. His quality of life changed so much. And it was, it was here every, a half hour, two half hours every week doing the same warm-ups. It was awesome. But the thing that was the craziest and hardest part was when he passed, he was the stone cold, hard, you know, father that the kids needed to be when he was growing up. When he was with me, he was a humble student and the kids never saw that. Like he was here. He's always asking questions and learning. And so I had both the kids, like one flew in from Calgary and one, like they asked to meet with me and we sat down for two hours and they just asked questions of who he was when he was with me because they just never saw him like that. And it was oh, just that's so great. Yeah. And it, it's, it was heartbreaking for me because it was like reliving all that stuff. But at the same time, it was, it was like you just said, that beautiful family thing that ends up happening. So I love that. I yeah. You got to share a part of him with them that they didn't know. So yeah, that's, that's an honor. 
freaking crazy relationships, relationships. Well, cool. So you got, so you got psychology of training, the personal side of training. All right. Mm-hmm. So can we shift gears? Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. I feel like I know a lot of people who get burnt out from being a personal oh. trainer. Yes. Have you ever been that person? Definitely. Me too. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, let's talk. About <laughs> not that. once, not twice, many, many, many times. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a real thing and I don't hear enough people talking about it. Um, I hear about burnout, but I I don't hear trainers talk about it a ton. Um, and I think they should because we have crazy hours, right? Like I will train clients from six in the morning till eight o'clock at night, a couple times a week. And probably almost that another couple times a week. Um, so, and we work when people don't, and then you fill in the slots with these other people. So it's, it's constant and you're, you, it's sometimes really hard not to take on some of the heartache that your clients are going through. So that stays with you and you take it home. Um, even though there are ways to process that and work through that on your own, sometimes it's, it's very difficult. So it's this all day thing. Um, and over time that wears on you. And I've found that what I need to do personally is find other stimulating things that allow me to focus my attention, um, that that I can focus my attention on, right? Which is why I have so many projects and so many things going on. Because while I'm adding to my plate, I'm more stimulated and it's so much rewarding and so much more rewarding in a sense that I'm feeling like I'm accomplishing more, right? And that that's that's a personal thing. That's what I need, right? I, I need something new that I can problem solve and work through and and help develop. Um, so I come to work and I'm I'm ready to go. I'm fresh for every single client I come in contact with, as opposed to not having anything else on my plate and coming in and training while I love them dearly, the same clients every single week over and over and over again. Right. I get it. I a hundred percent get it. It's hard to describe, but I mean, I mean, same along with you. I mean, seeing the same people over and over again and there are similar problems, but I mean, that's where for me, like, I mean, I love when I work out, I put on headphones and I sound cancel everyone. I love everyone here, but I need that. Like mm-hmm. I need, I need that aloneness for a bit. And that's why I love drums and even teaching is because you kind of enter into this flow state of consistent problem solving that just gets your mind out of that stuff and then gets you present in that moment. And it just helps to shift gears going from second to third Mach one uh, in a big way. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, cause I have, we have a lot of students that are like, you know, they have this fear around not making enough money. And then they start smashing their schedule with like 40, 50 literal client hours. And they're like, yeah, I'm hitting six figures. I'm excited, but I'm exhausted. And I don't like my life because I don't have time for X, Y, and Z. Now there's, I mean, obviously mechanical things in there, but in your opinion, what kind of things, if you were going to say to a trainer in your little, in, in your little, in precision human performance, which is gigantic in Chicago's best personal training studio, which is a science-based personal training studio. If you're frustrated with regular personal training, go there. Um, what do you tell the trainers? Hey, listen, Michelle, I'm feeling burnt out. Like how, what are the things that you tell them to do to try and overcome that? Um, 
right off the bat, take a day off, right? The you're no good to your clients, um, feeling worn down, not being fresh mentally, not be able, not being able to be 100% for them. And, you know, on the business aspect of it, if we look at training less hours, making more money, you have to be able to have the rate that supports that. So how, how, how are you going to be able to raise your rates or justify what you're charging if you're not giving them everything you can, if you're not putting 100% effort toward that individual across the board, right? Whether they're in front of you or not. Um, and in order to do that, you have to practice good self-care um, and teaching them about self-care in part of that is um, taking time off, taking time to breathe, taking time to just put yourself in a mental state where you don't have to focus on anything stressful and you can just collect yourself and calm down a little bit. Can you tell my wife is a psychoanalyst? <laughs> It might be where some of that practice has come from, right? Oh my gosh, so many. Um, and yes, it's it's practicing those things because if you can't care for yourself, if you're not making time for yourself, then you can't possibly do it for anyone else. Oh. Um, so just just really trying to get them to to make that known and practice that. I um, I got a guy here. I kind of, it's my version of Aaron Westbrook. I have a Taylor Pleshberger who is yes. same grown up, grown inundated in the business and is our operations manager. And he saved my life, honestly, <laughs> but yeah, they do thing. that. Oh yeah. It's, it's huge. And he's just perfect. And he's got the exact opposite skill sets of me, which is just flipping amazing for this. Yeah. Anyway, it's beautiful. I love him. Um, but there was a time like three years ago and he was like, he was feeling burnt out. He was working long hours. He, had, he was doing great, busy, finally making some money, bought a car, outright cash. He was really excited about that, like all kind of cool stuff. But he's like, I'm feeling burnt out. I said, great. Well, what do you do when you're not here? Well, I go home and I sleep and I eat some food and I come back. Like, you got you to gotta do something to shift gears. Mm-hmm. And it now, it's almost a joke now. He's obsessed in a great way with fishing. Like he's, he's fishing right now. Like he's gone fishing today. <laughs> but it's so good because he's... He's got that gear shift where he shifts gears completely and goes fishing and he leaves early on Fridays. He goes up north to his cottage or to a cottage and fishes all weekend and it just clears his mind. And he comes in on Monday and he's kicking ass and he no longer has anxiety and he is completely relaxed and he works the same amount of hours. He raised his rates and he's performing better and it really, really worked out. Um, I love it. I mean, for you and people in your world, I mean, or when you say, hey, you need to do some self-care stuff. Um, do you have suggestions of things for them or you do more try to coach them? Well, what kind of things would you do to relax? Yeah, it's, it's always a a coaching thing with me, right? Finding what they love, finding what, um, makes them fulfilled and trying to make it a priority to do those things. So, um, you know, maybe it's a physical activity like, going hiking or just going for a walk. Um, a lot of times here, you know, as a, as a team together, that's something that happens. So we'll just go and grab coffee. You know, there's a coffee place down the, down the way, just sit, grab talk, coffee, joke around, not talk about work. Um, 
and not even have to do anything physical, uh, but because that's part of it too, right? Our jobs are physical. We work out all the time. It's just this physical thing. So just getting off of our feet, taking a load off and doing that. Um, but a lot of times too, we're all thinkers, right? We're, we're this, the science thing is pretty important to all of us. Um, so taking a class so that you learn a new skill. So you learn a new methodology. Um, and then you can incorporate that into your practice. I found that helped tra trainers more than as much as going fishing or going driving or whatever it is that they love to do, right? Refresh their practice. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So I have, I mean, we got a couple more things we got to talk about because you're so awesome. Sure. Uh, I do have a, a question from one of our students, Mr. Gary Augustine Warren. And he asked specifically, I know he asked, he sees that you guys are doing some more group exercise stuff intermittently. Uh, he's got, you got a couple of things where you do some, and he's just asking uh, for you, um, how do you find observing, like how do you find facilitating a group class and how do you manage observing everyone's progress, making sure everyone's, you know, doing okay in a group setting? Um, so the, the groups that we have here are specific, are usually specific to some type of skill. So we have a, uh, a self-defense class, for example. Um, so having more than one instructor, having, um, people that are walking around, making sure everybody's doing the right thing, making sure that they're learning, making sure that their technique is being done well. Um, that's really important. Uh, I think a lot of times group instruction, people feel like there only needs to be one instructor and that is not the case. You can have more than one instructor. We had this huge um, event that we went to and there were, there must've been hundred people or so that attended and a couple of our trainers led a group X class and it was both of them at the same time. One was leading, the other one was walking around and fixing, uh, adjusting form and giving them tips and giving them cues on how to make the exercise more efficient. Um, so I would recommend thinking about having more than one instructor. And if you can't do that, um, you know, I have become less of a stickler over time on you have to be in this specific position and you have to move this way. And it's about movement. Just get people moving. Don't hurt them, get them to move. It's, it, you know, you put people in a box and you think they're going to break. The body is so incredibly resilient. Um, and, and I'm so thankful that I went from being this, scared, got to keep everybody here and you have to be perfectly doing this to just come in, let's move a little bit, move around and, and you'll be better off for it. So you put that mindset in a group X class, it's much less stressful. It's much more fun. They're going to have a better time and you're going to have people coming back because they're not so worried about hurting themselves. There so was your mindset. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, I did a podcast with Evan Pike on and um, 
I, he, I hadn't heard of him before I was asked to interview, interview him, and he's brilliant. And if you haven't checked it out, I, I mean, I, I, look like, I sound like an idiot because I don't know what half the stuff he's saying, but I tried my best, and he's just, he did a great job of bringing it down. And we're doing an episode with him and Jacques together soon, which is going to be really cool because it'd be interesting to get that juggle. But I asked him a question, and it comes back to what you were saying, and it helped to like blow up a couple things. There's two things. I saw a lot of people doing the hyper-technique focus that we were taught. I shouldn't say we were taught, but we were introduced to, and I saw some people take it way too far, and as such creating incredibly unique sensations, which they started to teach that those sensations were the way exercise should feel. But in reality, they created so much restriction within the body that it just caused, caused injuries and more problems. It didn't allow natural kinematics that were hardwired into us for centuries, a lot more than that, millions and billions of years to not happen, uh, which is, you know, a bummer. And then the second thing was what Evan was talking about, because I asked him, hey, if I had a brand new old lady who's never exercised come in, uh, where do you think I should start? And he was like, literally anything. Because you just define something that's comfortable because there are so many progress systems progressing concurrently that saying this knee extension exercise is going to do X, Y, and Z. There are control variables for sure, but at the end of the day, so much is happening that you have to get them to a certain point before you can start being specific. So I love that. I, mm -hmm. I share the same thoughts with you. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talked exercise is medicine, but and movement is medicine, right? Like people, people, the, the more compromised you are, the more you just need to keep moving. And it doesn't have to be sitting on a machine and pushing in certain directions and certain loads and certain times and all these different parameters. Let's just go for a walk. Yeah. I mean, try to get that accomplished. Motion is lotion. Sounds so creepy when you say yes. that. Yes. Yeah, a little bit. Especially <laughs> if you rub your hands together like that. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so uh, <laughs> okay, so I want to ask you, you got a couple projects on the go here, and there's one that I want to ask you about, and I'll tell you what, as some of this other stuff pops up, Michelle, please come back so we can promote it to make sure that you have a ton of stuff to help advertise, but you've got this cool thing, you said big project, muscle swapping method and muscle mapping method. What the bananas? Mm -hmm. Tell me. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, muscle swapping method, it's just... Uh, a little title that represents looking at a movement and so I'm going to go into mechanics a little bit, looking at a movement, uh, the axis we're moving around and the muscles that contribute to that motion and swapping that, creating the same movement, but changing the muscles that are participating in the exercise and the, the reason that I'm trying to put this together um, is mainly for people who are injured. And every time, for example, they say, oh, I go into flexion or I bend over and my back hurts. Is it the, 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 the bending over that creates this sensation of pain or is it the forces? Is it everything that's happening within the system because of the force scenario um, that's occurring w or what can we do to change that, right? So for example, if you take that scenario, you're bending over, um, you have these muscles on the posterior side trying to control you while you're going down, right? Hold on to your spine. Here we go. Let's try to keep this thing from falling as opposed to creating a load 
that's pushing you back or pulling you back up into extension. And you're going into that same range of motion, but creating a flexor torque that allows all your anterior muscles to engage and pull you into that position. So you still get that same movement, but we're stimulating a different side of the axis, right? So that we can get away from this mindset of, well, I can't do that, right? Or I can't do this because it hurts. I can't do that because it hurts. Well, hold on. Let's look at what you can't do. Let's change that force scenario, that resistance scenario up a little bit and see how that feels, right? So putting all these things together, shoulder abduction, right? Taking, well, I got I got my, all this stuff that's helping me lift up there. What if we change it and have that same motion occur, but now we flip it to the underside to allow that stuff to be what's participating in the exercise. And most of the time there is a relief through that movement and they're able to get that joint to, to, to slide, glide, whatever they're doing, um, a lot better when they're pain-free. Um, and there's a lot that it's, it's, it's pretty powerful to a lot of people. I love it. Yeah. We, we were playing around. We had somebody who had a, well, it came off of my back injury. I had a back injury from deadlifting like a maniac. Cause I'm stupid. When you, when you used to call me fish legs, would you call me fish legs, <laughs> burger boy, translucent boy, had all these names. Something like that. <laughs> anyway, you call they, I can't remember. You made fun of that that character from the balloon movie, the chubby enthusiastic kid with the hat. Yeah. You know yeah. Yeah. About? It was a, yeah. It was fish legs or something like that. Oh, anyway, anyway, sorry. So around that era when I had more legs than I had upper body, I was deadlifting like crazy, had a big injury and I got introduced to Peter Chason, who was doing muscle activation techniques at the time, helped me facilitate some contractions. I felt a lot better. And then from Tom's, it was actually Tony Lott. I saw doing it in Oklahoma and he was doing this crazy, like standing, what I call the reverse deadlift, where he had two cables in his hands and he was pushing down towards the ground. Just an abdominal exercise, really, with it. But I, I called mm-hmm. it reverse deadlift. And I started mucking around with that with my back injury. And then that was, you know, really interesting scenario because my back pain, like, instantly changed. And I got super mm-hmm. excited to think about that whole, okay, well, eccentrically, this is pulling, lowering me down when I do it this way. Well, if I pull myself there or control myself there or decrease the resistance by offloading and you know, all the stuff you're... It was awesome. So I, I think this is a great idea. I think this is absolutely fantastic. And so when you say, because you have muscle swapping and muscle mapping, sorry, will you have mm-hmm. um, some procedures in place to kind of like simplify it for trainers to get started and then help them into the mechanical thought process? Yeah, yeah. Because over, over the years of teaching, the I always get, okay, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And in the frustration of teaching how to think through and problem solve, I'm just going to, let's just give you the answers and then explain. And you have to think through things after that. So muscle mapping, looking at the body as a map, right. And figuring how do we get from point A to point B? Um, and what things, let's say I can't, looking how everything's linked, right? Let's say I can't, my right rotation, it's just something I can't do because of a restriction or a tightness or a pain or whatever the case may be. What tissues, what joint movements, what contractions, what do I need in order to help me get there that has nothing to do with that motion directly? Let's go down to the foot. Let's start there, right? And then map that all the way up to that position and 
create a method, a specific method, not, oh, try this and try that and try this. Um, all the things that you need to do, all the movements you need to do, all the exercises you need to do to get there. Because another thing is, okay, you said, you tell me to train knee flexion. Well, what does that mean, right? What exercises should I do? And that's where this entire library of exercises come in. So it's not just a theoretical, here's a mapping method, but here are 10 exercises for knee flexion. Here are 10 exercises for tibial rotation, right? Trying to, to talk through some of this stuff in a way that isn't, there's, that, that doesn't result in so many questions, um, but a bigger arsenal of exercise interventions. I love it. I think this is going to be brilliant. I think it's going to be a super fantastic and great tool for trainers um, to help them just kind of get going, helping people with injuries and aches and pains in the gym. I love it. Thank you. I hope so. I don't want people to be afraid of, of injured clients. I mean, everybody's got an ache and pain. Let's just let's help them get better. Move I, around. I, mean, I would argue it's the best demographic to help. Like, I mean, they're the people who need the most help. Uh, you can definitely beat somebody up and have them lose their breath by just shortening the respirator between pretty much any exercises, but helping someone who has aches and pains and deconditioned because of diseases and problems. I love helping them because if they can do 1% more that tomorrow that they weren't going to be able to do if they didn't come and do some of the exercises. How awesome is that? Yeah. And that's what it's about, right? Having them come back to you and say, I went on my vacation and I walked every single day and I felt great the whole time. Like that, that's what it's about. You go do your recreation, come back to me and we're going to keep you being able to do that stuff. Cause that's, that's living life more efficient, happier with your body, more being able to perform at a higher level on a daily basis in just your daily activities. Like that's, that's what keeps people going. I love it, Michelle. Listen, you got a big question here and I'm thinking out loud here. I would like to have you back on when that business is ready. Is that okay with you? Sure. Okay, let's do that. So I'm gonna leave everybody hanging here. If you're listening to this, Michelle has something awesome that will help businesses do what she is doing better and you're going to want to listen to it. Uh, so when you see Michelle come back next, it's going to be for a juicy reason that will help your business come back soon. But Michelle, I have a cheesier question I want to ask you if that's cool. Please do. What is your favorite exercise machine right now? Ooh, a machine? Does it have to be? Okay. No, nope, whatever. Any exercise, huh. any exercise okay. thing. <laughs> Okay, the thing I'm actually I'm, I'm I love right now is setting the Smith machine up to do hip extension. I'm just I'm obsessed with it. Put the little pad, put the the pad on, and then I need an extra like Airx pad. Set up the bench and just do some hip thrusters. And because I mean my I've gotten my back to a place where it feels so good, and now I want to like train all the things that I haven't been able to train, and I I, I love it. And to set up a free bar and put up a bench takes too much time. So get under the Smith machine and just thrust up into the bar. It's great. Good stuff. Because you had, <laughs> you had, if everyone doesn't know, you had back surgery several years ago, right? I had two. Yeah. I had a microdisectomy in 08 and I had another one in 2018. So my doctor says, I'll see you in another 10 years. And I say, no way. <laughs> but you're yeah, I've had two back surgeries. And so through both of that, you are, you know, feeling pretty darn good and back to doing hip thrusters and movements like that, which is crazy. Yes. Yes, it is. 
Awesome. Yes. I got to tell you, I am super obsessed with training grip strength right now. And I think of you almost every time that I'm doing it. And it's because I started mucking around with it for like a month. My wife was making fun of me because she's like, that looks ridiculous. But I've gotten faster on the drums. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with this for a while. Yes. Actually, I'm going to tell you, you can laugh at me. So I know anyone see my little drum clips. I would say that I'm, I am known for being semi-fast on the drums. I can play pretty quick and pretty comfortably quickly. And so I'm proud of that. And so we were down, we were at my house, we we're sitting down, Katie and I were having some drinks and she goes, yeah, you're pretty fast. How fa How do you do it? And she goes like this with her hand, but she goes with one hand, like faster than I've ever gone. And I was like, oh my gosh. And she goes, what? You can't do that spazzy thing where you just have a reflex. I thought everybody could do that. And I was like, what did you just do? Do that again. And she's like one hand. And I'm going to get her to record it. Like we're going to do a video on it because it's stupid. And I'm so mad because I've spent so many hours with pennies and grip strength. Anyway, that's beside the point. Fun fact, genetics. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Key. Awesome. Well, Michelle, listen, I got to say, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are with all these different things you're juggling. You're working on so many things. You're helping so many people for, so for you to carve out an hour of time to come on this show, talk with me and then share what you're working with everybody in this little world. I really appreciate it. Before we button up, is there anything that you want to share with people that we didn't talk about? Hmm. Um, yeah, the, the most immediate, uh, the cadaver courses are back on. Ooh. Um, we have a cadaver course, May 28th, um, sign up is on our website, precisionhumanperformance.com and on bioacademics.com. Um, it's a one day workshop. We have, I think there's at least five cadavers in the lab. Um, nice. it'll be a great course. And then another one to follow up will be a, an applied anatomy and exercise design course coming in the fall. So just looking at the muscular system and how to take that and create exercises based on, uh, their mechanics. You're teaching the, Michelle, you're teaching the cadaver course. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Yes. S send me the art and I'll put it in the group and share everyone. Okay, cool. I will. Sick. Thank you. Cool. Everyone take the cadaver class with Michelle. I, I mean, I did it with Joe DeAnthonis and every time I took it, it blew my mind of the muscles and the things I'd never thought I would ever see and the things that didn't exist in books and were there. It blew my mind. I love it. Yeah. It's great. It's a great course. All right, Michelle, Michelle Mach one, go crush some 500 horsepower. How much, how much, how much horsepower that thing got? Uh, a little bit, <laughs> almost 500. Oh, love it. Cool. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day, everyone. If you haven't checked out, go check out Michelle, Michelle Amore, Precision Human Performance, Bioacademics. By far, I look up to you guys for what you're doing all the time. You inspire me. Uh, I mean, I constantly change how I'm eating because you're way more shredded and I got to catch up. You got faster cars. You got a cooler gym, yellow and, you know, orange right, and following. So I love it. You're awesome, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you. And I, I love this. Keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's really important. And we all here at PHP appreciate it and you. Very well, much. We, we're going to have you back to talk about special project that people are going to want to tune into. Yes. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you. Bye, Michelle. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you then. Thanks, Brandon.